This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Um, okay. Welcome back to Talkin' Nicks. I'm Tom Piccolo coming at you for the first time in six weeks. It has been six weeks since we've talked Knicks. Uh, we took our all-star break over here. We just never came back. Went out for a pack of cigarettes. Uh, but we've got a lot to get to. So let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. Okay, we are recording this on Sunday evening, immediately following the Knicks win at Detroit. The Knicks beat the Pistons 104-102 and kind of a nail-biter. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a lot more. But to talk all things Knicks with me is my dear friend, Kenny Poon. Kenny, what's going on? Mr. Piccolo, great, uh, great to see you here on the video. I saw you yesterday in person for the first time in a while, which was weird because I don't see people in person anymore. It's usually this medium of, you know, you're on a computer, I'm on a computer, and there's, you know, six inches of computer screen between us. It's true. Listeners might not know this, but just because we are not podcasting together, it doesn't mean we're not talking. We do still talk, uh, even when we're not on this podcast. So, um, yeah, you seemed well. Um, Yeah. Doing well, and I'll let, I'll let the listeners know. I've, uh, I've spent the last, I don't know, month, month and a half uh, between my apartment and my new um, abode with moving stuff on the weekends. Like, I haven't, I, I didn't do the whole, like, move everything in the day, hire movers, like, have a miserable time. I'm just prolonging the agony and doing it, like, one carload at a time on the weekends, which is fun a lot of fun yeah man and, uh, <laughs> during one of those drives yesterday i, I stopped at, at your place on the way uh back to my my apartment well you mentioned prolonging the agony and i think that's that's a fine transition to <laughs> to this next season because you know they the team has actually been kind of good recently um you know i mentioned it's been six weeks we actually haven't recorded this since the all-star break like i said the knicks are eight and eight in that time but I think they lost their first game, first four games after the All-Star break. They've actually won eight of their last 12 and three in a row after today's win in Detroit. Um, I don't know. I'm wondering, Kenny, if you feel like these wins we'll, – we'll start pretty high level here. Like, are these wins wasted Ws? Are they just hurting the Knicks' draft stock? Are there, are there lottery odds at this point? Or do you think that there's actually value to these ones? And this is something that you and I touched on when we talked in person again. Uh, but like at some level in my gut, I was like after they lost uh, those four games that you mentioned and like they weren't playing well. And then like, I think they lost a, a tough one to the Hawks. That was a big one. Some of the wins like didn't feel like the best idea, but 
when I talked to you, you made the good point, and, I, and I'll let you I'll kick it over to you and let you take it from there. Because you made a good point that I think you should share with the listeners. Well, I, I think that, you know, you, after that Hawks loss, uh, the Knicks have since won three in a row. And two of those wins, the wins at Charlotte and at Miami, came with Julius Randle sitting out with a, a sore quadriceps. And so you're watching these games and who's getting the minutes and who's getting the touches, who has the usage. And it's, it's all the young guys. It's the guys that we've been wanting to see for a long time. So, you know, you were, RJ Barrett was obviously the focal point, um, which has kind of been the case even longer. <laughs> like even when Julius Randle has been playing, I have his numbers up right now. Since the all-star break, RJ is averaging nearly 26 points per game. I mean, that, that's, 26 points, 6.7 rebounds, almost four assists. He's only shooting 40.6% from the field, but he's getting the line nearly nine times a game. Like that, that's going to bolster your efficiency, even though he's only hitting 75% of those free throws. Not terrible. Um, like our, the fact that we're seeing RJ Barrett blossom into this high usage guy, it's not always efficient. It's not always pretty, but he's kind of showing – that he's capable. And at 21 years old, it's just wildly impressive. Uh, beyond RJ, Emmanuel quickly has been a stud recently. Um, all the talk of, is he a point guard? Is he not a point guard? It hasn't mattered at all. Like he's just been developing as a facilitator um, with his playmaking, but also scoring. He's been on fire from three. He's hitting a ton of uh, off the dribble pull up threes as well, just like he was last year. And the big thing for him is he's just like RJ. He's also getting to the line. So, Kenny, the point is that we're watching even the guys kind of on the on the lower levels of your your Quentin Grimes, who's still rounding back into form, Jericho Sims, Deuce McBride. These guys are all getting minutes. Obi's gotten some minutes as well, and they're the ones who have been leading this team to wins. That game against Miami. Miami's was the number one team in the East. This was. In Miami, they were playing – they had all their guys. They had Bam Adebayo. They had Jimmy Butler. They had Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, their whole crew. It didn't matter. <laughs> the Knicks kids beat them, and they have something to play for, right? So that was one of the more encouraging, fun wins of the entire season. Yeah, and I think the kind of – to highlight the big point of this is that the way that the Knicks win matters. It's like, this is not the Maurice Endor in 2017 hitting a game winner to, to drop the Knicks' uh, lottery pick to tie the, the Timberwolves. It's not that, because like Maurice Endor, we knew, was not going to be a big part of this team going, going forward. But the guys you mentioned, R.J. Barrett is going to be a cornerstone of this team. Quickly, Grimes, Jericho Sims is showing a lot. Deuce McBride is showing a lot. Those guys have the potential to, to be a part of this team moving forward. And, you know, it's been a weird and fluky year. Um, you know, there's been a lot of kind of weird stuff going on from the beginning of the season when like half the teams in the NBA, like were missing most of their players any given night due to COVID. Like a lot of weird things have happened and the Knicks have not played up to their potential next year. Like there is a, there is a possibility that they round back into four and all of these players can help them in a, a chase for a playoff spot. Yeah, so Kenny, there are kind of two different directions I want to go from that. I mean, the, the first, I guess we could talk quickly about this game that happened today. Um, I guess as you're listening to this, it happened yesterday. 
the the win in Detroit, we actually didn't get a chance to watch the full thing here. I was locked out of my home. Long story, but I was just kind of wandering around my neighborhood waiting for AAA to to come help me. Um, bottom line is like I got in and was able to watch the last five minutes of the game. Saw some good things, some bad things. Like RJ had a really nice drive on Cade Cunningham. Maybe one of his best drives of, drives of the season um, was able to, to get by him on a spin move. Uh, but he also had a couple really ugly offensive possessions. And then defensively, he got absolutely cooked uh, by Killian Hayes on a big time possession, like just one-on-one. There was no reason for it. It was, it was pretty brutal to watch. Um, and the reason that the Knicks won this game was Alec Burks hit a clutch three, and then he made some, some big plays on the defensive end, culminating in a huge steal on the last possession of the game. Cade Cunningham went for the pull-up mid-ranger, and, uh, and Burks just swiped it out of his hands, stole it cookie style, and just went the other direction as the buzzer expired. So, you know, Alec Burks was, was a determining factor for why they won this game. Um, you know, Julius Randle took 18 shots that was tied for the most on the team. So he had a high usage rate as well. And so the question would be like, are, are games like today's against Detroit, is a win like that still seen as like a productive win in the same vein as like that Miami or that Charlotte game that we were talking about earlier? And I think, you know, I think this is still distinguishable from that, uh, that Maurice Endor game, because like that game, from what I remember, and I'm pulling up the, the box score now, like that wasn't like the, the guys that we threw out there, we were not expected to have back. Um, so like the starting lineup, Ron Baker, Maurice Endor, Carmelo Anthony, Courtney, Courtney Lee, and then I guess Billy Hernan Gomez was also involved. And like going down the rest of the team, like not many of the guys that were playing were expected to be a big part of the future. Here, like, the guys that are playing are still uh, – you mentioned Julius Randle had a big game. Alec Burks had a big game. And, like, they are – you know, Julius Randle is who he is. Alec Burks, who knew, knows, like, what his future holds, if he'll still be on the team next season. But at the same time, like, R.J. Barrett played – you know, was the leading scorer this game. Um, Jericho Sims played 19 minutes. Obi Toppin played 17. McBride played 17, although it, it doesn't – again, I was driving back and forth, so I also missed the game. Uh, but he, he got 17 minutes, and, and Emmanuel quickly had a great game. Looks like 30, 31 minutes, plus nine, best on the team, and 18 points on a four or nine three-point shooting. So, like, those guys getting that experience in close games, like, that matters. And so I think it, it, it's, not, like, it's not as good as, say, the, the Miami Heat game where it was the kids leading the charge, but them getting that experience in close games, like, that always helps. Yeah, you're right. There are definitely tiers to this and probably a little more nuance. Uh, it's not like black and white. This is a good win. This is a bad win. There, this is all development. This is, it's, you know, RJ Barrett, again, was tied for most field goal attempts on the team. He still got to the line seven times, made six of them, um, had nine boards, which you like to see. Only the one assist. Uh, that, that's the one area where RJ, you know, he's shown flashes where he's such a strong playmaker. Um, but other times he does kind of get the tunnel vision. So he's still trying to find that balance as a, as a primary or co-primary guy. But uh, yeah, I think that's all well said, Kenny. But the, the other direction I wanted to go is now that we're seeing all these young guys performing and performing well, 
and actually leading to wins, right? There was almost this misconception earlier in the season that playing the youth would lead to tanking and, oh, uh, you know, Tibbs doesn't tank, right? He plays his vets because he wants to win. But now we're seeing this is, you know, in many cases against teams that have something to play for. The Hornets had something to play for. The Heat had something to play for. The young guys are going in and winning games themselves and playing well and contributing to wins. Do you think it's fair to retroactively go back and criticize Tibbs for not breaking the glass case in case of emergency earlier and getting McBride out onto the court and getting like, you know, more minutes for quickly. We've seen how productive they can be. Should we have been seeing this for longer by now? I, I feel like I'm the biggest Tibbs defender out there. And I just like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable retrospectively doing that. First off, like quickly did not play all that well for a large stretch of time. So like, it's easy to look back now that he's playing well and be like, Hey, maybe you should have gotten more minutes. But at the same time, like he was not earning those minutes for a, a stretch of the season. Uh, like same with Deuce McBride. He had a, he had a few, he had, I think one or two good games very early in the season. And then like he continued playing for a few games and not particularly well. He did very well in uh, Westchester and like, maybe you find him a few minutes here and there, but like, I'm not, I'm not punishing uh, Tibbs for, for not, you know, throwing him in the game at you know, kind of a, a very difficult position for a rookie to play historically at point guard, um, particularly when the Knicks don't have any other point guards. Like it's not like we've seen Alec Burke struggle in that position. And I think, you know, part of the reason he was put in that position is because he is the veteran and like they know what to expect. And, and there is a little bit of something to not breaking a young player's confidence this early in their career. And that was a very, that would have been a very difficult position to put him in. Um, and, and we, again, we don't give Tibbs credits for things that he, he did do. Like he did start playing Jericho Sims, like a decent, like a few weeks ago before he started playing some of these other guys. And like, we haven't seen, I don't know if Noel's injured or, or what happened, but we haven't seen Noel in a while. We haven't seen, we've seen Gibson a lot less lately. And like Sims kind of took over that role. So like there have been adjustments made. Um, and, you know, we, we haven't even mentioned Grimes who, you know, um, worked his way into the lineup. So, like, those are young guys that Tibbs was playing. And, like, I think he has been unfairly criticized for not playing the young guys when he has. It's just he's, he's waited for the proper chance to do it. And, you know, I can see an argument that potentially he should have done it a little bit more earlier. But at the same time, I could see his reasoning for not doing that. Yeah, I think that the only – a lot, so much of this comes down to quickly. And it also, for some fans I see on Nick's Twitter, it does come down to Toppin as well. Um, you know, Toppin, for me, it's like, I don't know that I, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't see the ceiling. Like, Toppin is a high energy player. He, he definitely brings a lot of positivity in his bench role. But I don't know that he could add much more beyond that right now at this stage. I think that it kind of comes down to quickly and to an extent to Deuce McBride. And you're right that quickly earlier in the season was not shooting the ball. Well, he was actually shooting the ball really poorly. Um, And now that that's turned around, it looks like, you know, 
maybe he should have been playing the whole time. I will say, though, that even when he wasn't, when Quickly was not shooting the ball well, he was still doing other things. Namely, he's a great rebounding guard, and he had improved as a playmaker and had shown flashes of that even before his shot was falling. Um, I've got some stats up since the All-Star. This is, again, since the All-Star break. Quickly is shooting 41.6% on nearly five three-point attempts per game. He's shooting 90% from the free throw line on five free throw attempts per game. Like that's, I mean, that's such crazy efficiency. Um, Again, that doesn't go back and erase how poorly he was shooting earlier in the season, but he, and I will say he even, he got lost on defense there for a little bit. I want to say kind of on either end of the all-star break, he had some games where he couldn't stay on the court because he kept fouling and he seemed to really get in his own head. But, you know, since then he has been really good defensively. Um, So yeah, I don't know if we want to it, – it's hard to to know how much to, to criticize Tibbs. And we saw him, Tibbs, in his last postgame after the, the Miami Heat win, kind of get defensive talking about the criticism he's faced, particularly on, online, on, on social media. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. I think, I think fans have, you know, kind of a – they get a lot of confirmation bias. So, like, when they say Emmanuel quickly should be playing more and then – like he starts playing more and he starts being better, they think that they were right about the situation. Whereas, like, if you look at it objectively, maybe Emmanuel quickly is playing more because he's playing better, and that's why Tips has allowed him to stay play more. And like, there there's something to that. To like, Tips' Tips's job is not like to to. I mean, I guess long-term it is kind of develop players, but his, his job right now is to try to win games and put the best players on the floor. And if, you know, Emmanuel quickly went through stretches where he wasn't playing well, then I can perfectly understand why he wasn't playing more minutes. And as he plays better, he's going to play more minutes. And, like, it's just – I think that's, that's just, you know, a very reasonable way to coach. But us as fans do not necessarily see the logic behind it. Yeah, it's just – you don't want to only judge these guys on how they're shooting again. Like that is a big part of the game. Totally understand it. But you look at someone at Deuce McBride who has been just an absolute monster defensively. It was getting into Kyle Lowry's Jersey, had some really clutch multiple steals in crunch time in that Miami game. Um, and he's just someone who's really a problem for, for primary ball handlers. And he provides a kind of ball pressure that changes the identity of the Knicks defense. Just straight up, you see guys feed off the energy that he brings. Um, you know, multiple clips have been going around on Twitter, and Benji Ritholtz of Knicks Film School and the Strickland called it. It wasn't just like the Knicks playing defense on a string; they were pulling the string. Like they were, they were the ones being the attackers, the aggressors, and the offense had to respond to them. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't the defense reacting to what the offense was doing. It was the opposite. And Deuce McBride is a huge reason for that. You see the way in those two games without Julius Randle, the way these guys switch and the way they get up, they get up into the ball. It's, it, it just has a completely different vibe. Um, and that's on the, def- the defensive end. And you really see a similar kind of energy on the offensive end where the ball is pinging around. It's not sticking with any one person. People are making plays for each other. 
it, it's just like it's such a more fun brand of basketball to watch without Randall. And that's still while acknowledging that Randall is the most talented guy on the team. He's still the guy that draws the most focus from opposing defenses, but there's something about it that just like, isn't mixing right with this team's chemistry. Yeah. And I'm going to bring that back to defending Tibbs because there are certain players on the team that Tibbs has no control. Like they're going to play. Julius Randle, Tibbs has very little ability to do anything about benching Julius Randle. And not, not to say that he, he should either, because Julius Randle is the best player on the team. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is currently the best player on the team. R.J. Barrett working his way up. Like, maybe he surpasses him. But right now, Julius Randle is the best player on the team. And I agree with you. Like, the fit isn't really as ideal as you'd like it to be. And, you know, you mentioned Obi Toppin before. Obi Toppin does not fit with Julius Randle at all because Obi Toppin is exclusively a power forward. Julius Randle and him, like, they could play together. I don't know how well. Um, but, like, they, it's, it's a tough match that Julius Randle needs to get these minutes and, you know, Obi Toppin gets what's left over. So, like, that, that whole thing goes back to, like, you have to just understand that that's that's how some of this is going to work and you know, I feel like I'm getting a little preachy in my defensive tibs but I know you know people have been uh pretty down on him all year so I feel it's it's a little warranted yeah I understand your your defense it's just we also have to recognize that he's not above criticism right like he does deserve certainly some share of the blame whether it's in line with the amount of blame he has gotten from fans particularly on social media, that's probably not the case. But 100% agree with that. I, he, he deserves criticism, and I think some of his rotations don't make a lot of sense, like his substitution patterns and some of that, and like when he takes people out. But the amount of just pure vitriol that people have towards him and like calling for his job and all of that, like I don't think it makes sense. So, if, so Kenny, we can agree that the Knicks have disappointed this season. Um, you know, we could go back and listen to our preseason prediction podcast. And I think we all had this team at over 500 to end the season. It doesn't look like they're going to get there. So I guess if you were to place blame, if we had to place blame for whose fault it is, who's got gets the uh, plurality of the blame, you know, uh, not even the majority, not even necessarily 50%, but just the most, the largest chunk of the blame, would it go to Tibbs? Would it go to Randall? Or is it like, is it the front office for not, for, for you know, swinging and missing on Kemba? Where do you place the largest uh, portion of blame? Like, it, and that's such an impossible question. It's an unfair question. question. Yeah, it's an impossible question to answer. Like, if I had to say, pick someone, I think I would pick uh, the front office. Because, like, the Kemba, the Kemba attempt and then the Fournier signing, which was, like, Fournier has played a lot better lately, um, but the beginning of the season, like, he was not doing himself any favors. And then, like, combined in kind of the Kemba thing is the fact that Kemba and Derrick Rose, and, and we knew this going in, were both injury-prone, and we ended up without a point guard for most of the season. So, like, those things didn't help. And then, like, the fit of all of these players together just wasn't cohesive. Like, last year, it was a lot of, like, for as bad as Alfred Payton was and for, you know, as little offensively that we got from Reggie Bullock outside of his shooting, like they fit in the team in that they didn't need the ball. So Julius Randle and RJ Barrett were allowed to dominate the ball. 
while Mitchell Robinson, Alfred Payton, and Reggie Bullock just kind of got out of their way and helped when necessary. Like uh, Robinson would be on the boards and, and Bullock would be, you know, catching, shooting, catching and shooting threes. Like that, that fits together. Having the four, four different guys who all like uh, need the ball in order to be successful – like the plan there, I fully understand after Bullock was exposed against the, the Hawks, but it didn't work. So I'm, I'm like willing to put some of that blame on the front office. Again, like plurality. I don't think it is completely on the front office. Certainly like the players deserve blame. Randall uh, went a while without playing well. Fournier started out the season terribly. Um, you know, certainly like Tibbs, like I said, some, I, I've defended him a lot, but his, some of his decisions – you know, they, they make you scratch your head. So, like, I think everyone deserves some blame, but if I had to pick, I think I'd take the front office as, as, the, as taking the plurality of that blame. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Tibbs definitely suffers from just kind of a lack of uh, – just the rigidity that we talk about all the time. The, I, I just think there's kind of a lack of imagination to his lineups, his rotations, his, his offensive schemes sometimes. I did point out a uh, – an ATO and after timeout play that they ran that ended up with Fournier throwing a lob to Jericho Sims. That was like, I don't know. I mean, I watched this team a lot. It was the first time I'd seen that play and the Knicks almost always run the same thing after timeouts. It's kind of the Spain pick and roll variation every time we've seen it all year long and it's very predictable and it yields predictable results defenses know that that's what's going to happen and they know when to switch they know how to defend it um so the Knicks haven't had a ton of success not like after timeouts or everything I think they kind of get overvalued as far as what coaches bring to the table but it's just one example of kind of a that lack of imagination or lack of flexibility I was talking about we saw a new play the other day and it was awesome and it worked it's just like where has that been where has been the the diversity in play calling it doesn't always I mean we know for a fact that the Knicks have been one of the worst crunch time teams in the league this year. Uh, statistically, they just, they really struggle to score when things slow down. It, it, and it always becomes a Randall ISO. I think Randall's possessions in isolation jump between regular gameplay and crunch time more than almost any player in the league. There was some stack going around. Um, and he just hasn't been that guy this year. And Honestly, if I had to give the plurality of the blame, it would for me it would be on Randall. I just I don't think he I, I don't know if it was a, a mental thing. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with him, but he didn't come in with the same focus, the same fire and desire that he had last year. He blew everyone away with his the way he locked in on defense, the way he set the example and set the the tenor for this team. Um, I, I remember the story last year of him like every time they landed, they'd go and get to a gym to get sh- shots up before they went to the hotel. Maybe they're still doing that this year. I haven't heard that story this year, but you know, that was just an example of kind of him being the leader and everyone following his lead as being the worker. And, and it showed on the court this year, we've all seen the viral clips of him just not getting back on defense, you know, kind of pouting, slumping his shoulders. He's been, difficult uh we saw him like kind of get into that little scuffle match with rudy gobert and the knicks his knicks teammates just kind of shook their head and were like we're kind of over this we don't feel obligated to back our guy up here um today against detroit maybe this is going to what tibbs is saying about you know 
critics just choosing one bad play. He let a backdoor cut go that was just so egregious in crunch time. I want to say it was it was either Bagley or Sadiq Bay. Just straight up backdoor. Randall was caught ball watching, and it it could have decided the game. Um, it's just these examples keep piling up, piling up. So for me, Julius Randall has been kind of the he's bore the brunt of of blame in my eyes. But uh, you know, between Tibbs and the front office, I think that's a coin flip. Yeah, and I I fully agree with uh, most of what you just said. I know Greg said it you know, very early on that one of the biggest problems for the Knicks this year is that Julius Randle wasn't the best player in the world. And like last year he was, was he second team all NBA? He was. Like he was ridiculously good last year. And like it, it, it wasn't a shot at him to say that he wasn't as good as he was last year because last year he was ridiculously good. And so like him not doing that, obviously the team is going to fall off. And to your point, like at the end of games, that is the game, like, that's the playbook. For, and, like, that's not just the Knicks. Most teams, like, at the end of games, you get the ball into the hands of your best players. And Julius Randle just happens to be our best player, so he gets the ball in his hands. And, you know, this year he hasn't been able to close out. And the Knicks have had a lot of close games and a lot of bad losses that, you know, if it were last year's Randle, like, those games don't go that way. Like, the, the Knicks end up winning those games, and the Knicks are in a very different position now than they – they were last year like that being said I don't think that you know Randall is is you know over the hill and he's done like I think he there's still a chance that next year he could come back like I just I don't know I feel like the the beginning of this year and like this year has been so fluky that I'm not I'm not ready to lend it a lot of weight you know obviously the as much as we can get out of it in terms of developing the young players like great but I'm not like it's been such a weird year that I, I don't want to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. I don't think I've ever used that phrase before, but <laughs> this seemed like this seemed like the right time. Um, so, like, I, I have maybe, and maybe I'm naive, but I have like some optimism that we will see a bounce back from Randall next year. Like, I don't think we will see last year's Randall, but I think we will see an improved Randall from this year. I like the optimism. I, I do. And I, you know, it's hard to imagine a, a worse Randall, just even his first year as a Nick, as maligned as it was, it didn't feel quite this toxic. And maybe it has to do with the expectations we had going in, but there's definitely been just so, a lot of angst and a lot of just, you know, anger, it seems like uh, on his part. Um, he, he expressed some of that towards the fans with the thumbs down and, um, it it just kind of felt like it snowballed from there. So hopefully you're right. I, I would I would venture to guess that he's a little bit better, that he's somewhere between this year and last year, uh when when gameplay starts back up this upcoming yeah, season. But um so so right now as it stands, the Knicks have the twelve are like the twelfth worst team in the NBA record wise. So that means they have the 12th best lottery odds. Um, so, right. If, if the lottery goes chalk, the Knicks would have the 12th overall draft pick. And <sighs> remember not, there's good. Well, we have, uh, we'd have to double check that just because I think it, there's a little bit of distinction just because the East and West playoff pictures, if 
someone with a worse record could get into the playoffs. So I'm not quite sure if the, that's right, because I know the Lakers right now could potentially get into the playoffs in a play-in game despite having a worse record than the Knicks. So, like, that's – but somewhere around the 12th pick. They're late, they're late lottery right now, which isn't ideal. And, Kenny, do you know the answer to this? If, if a team as, like, the 10 seed – wins the playing game and sneaks into that first round matchup are they in the lottery or are no. they're not so whoever whoever makes the playoffs after the playing game that's how it's decided whatever your record oh. the record is based on your regular season record of the non-playoff teams okay that's that's good to know um right so the lakers and the pelicans are both in that kind of play-in territory right now um, and both are ahead of the Knicks in the, you know, lottery standing, as we'll call them. Um, I don't know, Kenny. Like, that, that's – late lottery isn't a great place to be. I think we've seen this front office do a good job with their late first-round picks, um, whether that's Quickly or Grimes or Deuce in the second round, Jericho Sims with, like, the 58th overall pick. They've definitely been able to identify talent, but how are you feeling – like going forward for the rest of this season, are you rooting for losses or are you like kind of same kind of similar idea of what we were saying before? Uh, just want to see development. And if that leads to winning games, then so be it. You're okay with late lottery. Like I'm, I think I'm probably, I'm, I'm probably going to just accept whatever happens. Like if they, and it goes back to what we talked about. If they win games and it's the right players, like the young players are contributing and participating, like I'll accept that. Um, if that's not the case, I don't want them to win games. Although like, I don't know how high their odds can, can get. Like right now I'm looking at the, at the tankathon standings. They have ahead of them. Washington is one game ahead of them. Then Lakers and New Orleans, as we mentioned, are each one a game ahead of them. And then, you know, after that San Antonio's two and a half games. And then like, after San Antonio, it's, it's a jump. So the yeah, best that I mean, we're looking at, yep. if everything went our way, is like the eighth pick. And the eighth pick versus the 12th pick, like it, 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 it's a spread, but like I don't know if it's enough of a spread that like I'm that concerned about it. Well, and Kenny, I think the big thing between the 12th pick and the eighth pick there is if you look at that top four percentage mm. – you look at San Antonio with eight has a 26.3% chance to get into that top four. Top four is nice. That's a yeah. that's over a quarter chance. And then you look down at 12 and they have a 7.1% chance to sneak into that top four, um, which is a major long shot. So I think that's kind of, you're right. The, I mean, the difference between eight and 12 is not nothing. That is significant, but I do think that top 4%, just the odds of sneaking up there would be, um, you know, exponentially yeah. higher. Um, and I get, yeah, and I guess I, you're right. That is a valid point to to bring up, and I'm glad you did. I guess just in my mind, um, you know, we are aware that the Knicks have not moved up <laughs> since they drafted Patrick Ewing. Totally. So like, they have never moved. They have moved down several times, but they have never moved up in the lottery. And I'm just assuming that that's <laughs> the case. Although maybe that's not a not a fair assumption. Nah, it feels kind of fair. Um, well, yeah, we're, I'm sure we're going to do, start doing some deep dives into, like, prospects. We'll have all off-season to 
before the draft to, to get into that as well. But has, has there been – have you been watching much March Madness? I know you're a big Villanova guy. Um, has there been anyone who has caught your eye who you think could be in that mid to late lottery range that you think the Knicks should go for? Uh, it's it's like I'm a big Villanova guy, and having watched Villanova, I don't think there's anyone on Villanova in that range. Um, you know, I also am a big UConn guy, and having watched UConn, I don't think there's anyone on UConn in that range. Uh, but I, I like you, will will start diving into the tape and uh, see what we can find. Yeah, I saw uh, last night. I watched the Duke game, and Duke looked really good. You know, they looked really good. They've got two guys who I think are supposedly going to go in that you know early range. I see. I'm looking at the Ringers mock draft by Kevin O'Connor, and they have um, Paolo Banchero going number four. And he's a power forward and AJ Griffin, who's a wing going at five right behind him. I don't know if AJ Griffin's mocked in a lot of these to go quite that high. Um, But I liked AJ Griffin's game. He was knocking down contested threes. He was, you know, pumping and driving, getting into the, getting to the rim, finishing. He was playing some good defense. Um, He was moving the ball too. It wasn't sticking with him. I just, I really liked what I saw from AJ Griffin. Uh, looking at the uh, the player comps that they have on the ringer, it says Jalen Brown, TJ Warren, and three-point shooting Jimmy Butler. So, I mean, that's fun. Um, that's, know, that's high praise because that's – Jimmy Butler's a very good player and his known weakness is he does not shoot threes. So, like, if you could be Jimmy Butler with a three, that'd be very you'd, impressive. You'd be R.J. Barrett. There you go. <laughs> um, no, but AJ Griffin, I'm looking at nbadraft.net here. He's uh, looking to go sixth in our favorite website, nbadraft.net. Um, Tankathon, Tankathon also has him in that sixth range. Okay. Um, so that might be tough. I mean, who knows? Who knows if the Knicks can move up, but. We, Obi dropped to us. Obi. Obi he, was expected, to us. he was expected to go in that three, four, five range. Yeah, all fair. That's all fair. So, um, I, I mean, I will say at the top, um, you know, we've talked about Chet Holmgren amongst ourselves, and like, I am not a fan. Um, he is just so skinny and not particularly strong. He is a freak. He is very tall and very long arms, but like, he is just so skinny. And um, it might have been the first round he was like getting posted up by like guys who were six six, and it it wasn't great. So, like, right now, I think he gets by a lot by just being a freak and being bigger than everyone else or taller than everyone else. Um, and, you know, his uh, – and I'm, I'm forgetting – Timmy. Timmy is the one really doing the – or who was really doing the damage for Gonzaga. And like, so I wasn't a fan of him. Jabari Smith I saw, saw early in the season played against um, UConn, and I was very impressed with him. Um, you know, he's – got a very soft touch. He's 6'10". He's like, he's got you know, pretty decent passing and he's just a very smooth game. Um, so I was a big fan of Jabari Smith. And obviously you just mentioned um, Paolo Manchero, who, who, you know, has looked very strong uh, in this, this NCAA tournament. Yeah. Literally strong. That guy is strong. powerful. Um, it's a big, that's a big man. Yeah. On the other end of the Chet Holmgren spectrum. I mean, Chet, uh, I think the, comparison I made was to like Kristaps Porzingis, but 
probably, you know, Chet has a little like chip on his shoulder nastiness to him that Porzingis didn't have. I think Porzingis was a little softer, would, was more willing to like settle for these fadeaways. I mean, Chet, I think, kind of knows his strengths a little bit better. And I mean, I, I didn't watch a ton of him, but I don't know that he's taken a bunch of contested long twos. Um, he does. He was hitting the three ball at a pretty solid clip. Uh, hit 39% on just over three three-point attempts per game uh, in his in his freshman year there. But he wasn't the guy on offense by any means. They weren't like going to him in the post. They weren't. There were plays where he'd like push it in transition and get to kind of run the show a little bit. But that was the you know the exception to the rule. For the most part, it seemed like Gonzaga was going to to whether it was Timmy or you know, they, they just weren't going to Chet in the biggest moments. And that's kind of what I want from a number one overall pick. That's not to say I don't see Chet having value in the league. It's just, um, and yeah, I want him to be the guy. Yeah. And I, again, like, I don't know. I, I have this problem um, a lot with college basketball players where the, the people who get picked aren't necessarily the best players. And like, Sometimes it works out, but a lot of time the like best players get picked late in the the first round and end up being very good players. Like Knicks fans talk about Jalen Brunson, a Villanova guy who you know I think he got he was the first pick in the second round, I believe, for the Mavericks. And like he's a very good player, and he was the National Player of the Year in college. And like everyone knew he was a good player, but because he stayed for I don't even remember now. I think it was four years. Uh, he no, I think he was actually only there for three years. He was too old to have that same promise as other players. So, like, I struggle with that a little bit. I get it because, like, some of these young 18-year-old guys have a little bit more potential and, you know, a little bit more moldability. But I struggle with that personally because, like, at some, some point, the players who can play can play, you know? The players who have shown that they can play can play. Well, I mean, you have to remember Obi Toppin was also a National Player of the Year guy, and you know the jury's still out on him, right? Um, I will say that. Oh, I mean, Obi was playing at Dayton. Um, uh, Jalen Brunson won a national championship and played in the Big East, which is, uh, I think, a little different. Because, and I, and I, I'm pretty sure I said this either before the draft or maybe uh, in our draft podcast that, like, I watched some highlights of. Obi playing uh, at Dayton, and he was just a man playing with like boys. He was just he was a fully grown man playing with just people who were not fully developed. Yeah, but to your point, you know, you get into a little bit of that uh, Devin Booker conundrum, right? Was Devin Booker even like the fourth or fifth leading scorer on that Kentucky team that he was on? Um, I'm looking at his stats right now. He was averaging ten points per game. Um, hitting the three ball pretty well, but, you know, one assist, two rebounds. He wasn't really doing much else for you other than hitting a few threes per game. Like, um, and now look at where Devin Booker is <laughs> at this point. He's a, he's an extremely high level playmaker for a wing. Like he knocks down threes. He's an incredible mid range jump shooter. He's just, you know, he's the best or second best player on a team that has championship aspirations. You wouldn't have thought that necessarily when he was 18 at Kentucky, putting up 10 points a game. So yeah. The flip flip side of that is the Kevin Knox situation because that's why Kevin Knox got drafted. He got drafted on potential uh, and another guy out of Kentucky and Kentucky historically recruits a lot of very good players. And so all of them have, you know, not the best stats that you're going to see. Like it was the same thing with Carl Anthony Towns and, and Tyler Hero. 
Like, so they didn't have jump off the page stats because they're all splitting their stats. And then, so because of that, like you take a shot on a guy like, like Kevin Knox based on his potential, his size, his measurables and things like that. And, you know, you didn't end up seeing much from it. Or a Shea Gilgis Alexander. We'll never get over that. Um, but okay. I, I, yeah, I think that's plenty. We'll, we'll definitely get more into the draft as, as time goes by, but, um, I mean, that's a lot of Knicks talk, dude. That's a lot of, <laughs> we had a, a lot, lot of to Knicks catch talk. up on. Do, do we want to do America's favorite sub podcast or are we out of time? No, I think we can, we can do a, a kind of an abbreviated one. I mean, there's obviously been so much that we've all watched, uh, since the last time we potted. Is there anything that has jumped out to you that you particularly recommend? So what else is on? Uh, you know that I uh, – so first off, we haven't potted since the finale of After Party. Highly recommend that show. It got renewed for a second season. So, like, I would jump on that if I were you folks. You are aware that I am um, presently watching Lost, which I have not seen before. So Love Lost. Um, it's, I'm only, like, 13, 14 episodes in. Intrigued. No idea what's going on. A lot of weird stuff, but uh, I'm definitely intrigued. What about you? What's, uh, what else is on over there? Yeah, Rose and I watched The White Lotus, um, which I actually did enjoy. Uh, weird, weird show, though. you got to be ready for some weirdness. Um, I, I still dug it. We are, we've started watching Winning Time, the, the Lakers one. We've only watched one episode of it. Um, I also watched really one liked. episode of that. I also watched one episode of that, and I also like that. So I plan yeah. on continuing that. Well, let's, let's that, keep watching that, that. Yeah, because that one only comes out once a week. So that's, that's not a binge one. That's not one that, it was the same with After Party, I guess. But Lost, I'm just cranking. Yeah, that's, that's a week-to-week one. Um, my wife, Rose, really enjoyed winning time, too, which is nice. You know, she doesn't always want to watch the basketball games. So when it's a dramatized version of basketball, though, she's in. So we'll definitely be continuing to watch that. Um, you know, we've watched some movies and things. We, the Oscars are tonight as we're recording this. So those listeners, I don't know if anyone cares about the Oscars. I tend to. I actually do care who wins these awards. But, um, I mean, to an extent. But So I try and watch as many of these Best Picture nominees as I can. And, um, yeah, the ones I watched, I didn't really like that much. Uh, West Side Story, the Steven Spielberg adaptation, wasn't for me. I, I just don't think I'm a musical guy. I, it just, like, I can suspend disbelief to an extent, but when people are just, like, singing in each other's faces, and in West Side Story, they're, like, really acting tough about it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me, man. It really doesn't. They're doing a lot of, like, dancing, and it's just, um, it was fine. It just, it didn't really hold my attention so much. So, uh, the other movies, Power of the Dog, I know, is the favorite to win. That's the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, kind of Western cowboy type of movie set in Montana. Um, pr- pretty boring film until the last like five minutes, which were really shocking. Like hold on to your seats. Shocking. Like, one of the better twists I've seen in a movie, but you have to get through like two hours of just, you know, a beautifully made film and like cr- well-crafted and all that stuff. But it just was, it was boring. What else can you say? It was slow. Uh, the movie I would most recommend, I think I've said it maybe even on this podcast before, is CODA, which is an acronym for Child of Deaf Adults. And it's about a kid whose parents are, are deaf, his whole, her whole family is deaf, and she wants to become a singer. So it was really an uplifting 
heartwarming like family story and it's actually gotten a lot of buzz it's nominated for best picture and it might some the odds are maybe i think second to power of the dog to win so um if you haven't seen coda it's on apple tv plus really liked that um i'm sure i saw some other ones as well but uh, they're not jumping out to me right now but yeah i i might even watch some of the oscars tonight who knows Sounds like a good time. I'm not. A, I'm not an Oscars guy, so I'm not going to do that. But it sounds like sounds like fun for you. You seem into it. I don't blame you for not <laughs> being into it. But um, I don't know. Movies are good. I, I it's. I watch so much TV. Yeah, we have an entire sub podcast dedicated to just this thing: movies and TV. Yeah. So what That's else how much we say? like it. Uh, I feel like we had nothing else. Nothing else to say. It's a good podcast. Good podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you are, if you are listening still, please make sure you give us a five star rating on Apple podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. That's what you do there. You follow a podcast, Uh, leave a review. Tell us what your favorite movie is that you watch. Do you like the Oscars? I don't know. Um, Or tell us what draft, who the Knicks should draft. I'm also curious about that. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at TalkinNicks. Follow me at Tom underscore Piccolo. Uh, follow us on Instagram at TalkinNicks as well. And I think that's it for us. Um, that's it. That's all. All right. For Kenny Poon, I'm Tom Piccolo. And hey, let's go Knicks. Knicks tape.